You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. If you would, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And uh, we're going to be looking at this morning verses 12 to 18. We're going to be especially focusing on verses 12 and 13, but we'll read verses 12 to 18 in our scripture reading today. And, and uh, this is uh, get us getting back into our series called To Live is Christ. Uh, we've been working away this past fall. We're working our way through the book of Philippians, and uh, we have uh, made it uh, this far to the end of Philippians 2 verse 11, and then... Christmas came, the geese got fat, right? So we, we went in and we did our Christmas series. Then we did, a, uh, there was a bit of a, a break here between Christmas and today in terms of different things we were touching on. But today, praise God, today we're back into the book of Philippians in our series, To Live is Christ. The title of my sermon is Being the People That God Saves Us to Be. Being the People That God Saves Us to Be. You know, there's a well-known verse in the Bible that many times when I hear it, it evokes uh, very strong, mixed feelings. The verse goes like this. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. James, the author of that verse, evidently observed that in some Christians, there's a disconnect between what we profess and what we practice. James observed that there's a disconnect between what God wills and how we walk. And I hear that phrase and it evokes in me some strong feelings. I mean, on one hand, I have this strong feeling of yes, 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 yes. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just, don't just hear the word. Yes, hear the word, but don't just hear the word. Do it. Respond to it. And so every part of me as a pastor, every part of me a Christian just says, yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, few things are more harmful to a church's testimony than hypocrisy. A few things more frustrating than hypocrisy and duplicity. And, uh, and, and biblical faith does not consist merely in what I believe, but it's evidenced in what I do and how I live. So I hear that, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And I just, yes, yes. But there's... On the other hand, I also feel a strong sense of yikes. Yikes! Like Shaggy, you know, from Scooby-Doo. Yikes! Because as much as I'm bothered by hypocrisy in others, I squirm when it's exposed in me. And how many times have you or I gone to church and heard a word from the scriptures and been convicted and just committed to change and then don't? How many times have we seen in Scripture a a sin to confess, an example to follow, steps of obedience to take, but we just never get around to it? We, how many times do we find ourselves being hearers of the word, but not doers? And what's worse, as much as we in our best moments maybe want to go God's way, actually doing it feels like something we just can't seem to do and then too often don't want to seem, don't seem to want to do. Many of us are painfully aware of a gap in our lives, a gap that exists between what we believe 
and how we behave. It's like Jesus said to his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? The flesh is weak. What do we do with this weakness in flesh? How do you, how do you close that gap between belief and behavior, between profession and practice? How do you be a doer of the word consistently in your life? How do you be a doer of the word and not a hearer only? Well, loved ones, I thank God for Philippians 2. Because Philippians 2 shows us, it teaches us how we can close that gap. When we read Philippians 2, we, we find here a great treasure trove of hope and help for our lives to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. To be people who not only believe in God and believe his word, but also behave in accordance with his word. What we have in Philippians 2 is tremendous help for us to be authentic Christians. You know, when, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he could see that there was forming in them a bit of a gap between who they were in Christ and how they lived, especially when it came to their relationships with each other. There was, as we have seen uh, and we've talked about in our series, there was some internal dissension in the church. There was some friction in the fellowship. The saints were fighting with each other, especially two prominent believers in the church, well-known, were, were at odds with each other, and everybody knew about it. And Paul had, caught, had been given word of some of the division that was beginning to happen in what was otherwise a healthy church. In, in writing to them, he, he called them to unity. In fact, a, a major exhortation in this, uh, that heads up this section, this big section that we're in right now, came in 1 and verse 27. You might even just want to have a look at it. Philippians 1, 27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let, let how you live be fitting with the gospel you Proclaim. You see, the believers had so much in common, and, and we see that as we read the Scripture. We see that as we read Philippians. They had a, a common treasure in Jesus. They had a, a common priority that Jesus would be honored. They had a, a common objective that souls would be saved, that churches would be planted, that the gospel would be advanced. They had a common identity as brothers and sisters. They were saints. They were one. They were called to one mission but they were behaving in way, they had attitudes and actions that were undermining that oneness. And so in chapter 2, Paul calls uh, the Philippians to unity, calling on them to have attitudes and actions toward each other that promote unity. He called them early in chapter 2 to lay aside self-centeredness and cultivate humidity, 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 humility. And then he gives, from verses 5 through 11, he gives the supreme example of Jesus. Just be like Jesus. Look at his example. To be like him. To be authentic. And all this is good and necessary for us. But by the time you come to the end of verse 11, you realize, I'm not sure that this yet resolves my problem. Because I can read this and I can agree with it and I can amend it to others. But I'm still left asking, how do I do it? I'm given the perfect pattern of Jesus. But what I need now is power to do it. Loved ones, give thanks to God for Philippians 2. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not, 
only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So when I'm with you, I could see evidences of God's grace, you living for him. But now I'm not with you physically, so even though I'm not there, oh, how important this is for you to do. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For, verse 13, look at this verse, look at this verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That is one of my most favorite books in the whole Bible, verses in the whole Bible. It is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Then verse 14, he gets specific to their circumstance. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So I'm working out my salvation. There's real specific practicality here the Philippians are called to. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Remember Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So in your fellowship together, in being who you are in Christ, and therefore being united, you're going to shine brightly for the world to see. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so holding tight to the gospel, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, like when Christ returns, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. In other words, no matter what it costs me, no matter what kind of sacrifice God may call me to in my ministry to you, he says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. See the, the love that Paul has for the Philippians and how much he wanted Christ to be honored among them. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, loved ones, this passage shows us, I believe, that being the people that God has saved us to be involves at least two things. There's a working out, and there's a working in. Being the people that God saves us to be involves a working out and a working in. Warren Wearsby said, the Christian life is not a series of ups and downs, it is rather a process of ins and outs. So true. What does it mean? Well, we'll start here. Being the people God saves us to be involves our working out. Particularly, Paul says, working out our salvation. Now, you hear that phrase, working out, and if you're into fitness, maybe you think of it in terms of exercising, lifting weights and sweating it out. I was exercising yesterday, puffing and panting, nearly dying in my basement, trying to uh, keep in shape, keep fit and have fun, Hal Johnson, Joanne McLeod used to say. The keep fit part is a challenge, the have fun part is elusive. Maybe if you're into mathematics, you think of working out as working out a problem. If you're in relationships with people and you're not getting along, you think of working out in terms of working out towards reconciliation, working out your differences. It's a phrase, this working out, work out is something we, we use. It means different things in different contexts. So it's a great question. What does it mean here? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear 
and trembling. Well, notice first what it doesn't say. It doesn't say work for your salvation. See that? Just make sure it says it doesn't say that in your Bible. Look again. Work out your salvation, not work for. If you are in Christ, you are saved. You are saved. Your sins are forgiven. And you've got a home in heaven. You have it. It's yours through Christ. Isn't that amazing? He does not say work for your salvation. You cannot work for your salvation because you cannot save yourself. Salvation is a gift that you must receive by faith. And if you will not receive it by faith, you will not have it. It's a gift. It's not something that God pays out to us in response to our good deeds, contrary to our own intuition. Salvation is something for the believer that you already possess, of course, unless you don't possess it. If you don't possess it this morning, I plead with you to come and to receive it. But understanding receiving it isn't you trying to be a better you. Not against you being a better you. It's just being a better you, becoming a better version of you is not going to get you to heaven. It won't remove your sins. It won't raise you from the dead. So he doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out your own salvation. Now, it's interesting the, this, the, those words there, work out in antiquity, could be used in the context of mining. Like somebody has a mine and, and you know, you, you, you dig down to the mine and you're extracting from it whatever it is that you're extracting from it. Maybe it's gold or I don't, I know nothing about mining. Whatever you get out of mines, you get coal out of mines, you get the idea, okay? So whatever it is you get out of mine, it's a mine and there's stuff you get out of it, you dig and chip away and you bring it out, right? Well, the mine is yours, but what you're doing is you're cultivating what's in there to, to, to get the value out of it. In other contexts, it could be used of a farmer working a field. There's lots of you here who are farmers, right? So the, the field is yours and, and the soil's got so much potential for fruitfulness, so in the ancient context, you'd work it out in terms of working that field and, and having it produce things. That's the idea here. It's not working to possess something. It's you possess something, so work it. Work it, girl. I don't know. Work it. Uh, that was not in my notes. And I probably won't say that second service. Notice, too, as we try to figure out what this means... That phrase, work out your own salvation, notice what it parallels. The beginning of the verse, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I just going to say, if I didn't know this verse, that's not what I would be expecting to read. I would expect to read, as you have always obeyed, so now obey. Right? You, you've, you've been obedient to the Lord. You've got a track record of obedience. So now, I would expect, Paul's going to say, so keep on obeying. But that, that's not what he says. He says, work out your own salvation. And I think that is a bold, if not clear, clue for us as to what Paul means when he talks about working out your own salvation. Working out our salvation is living in obedience to the Lord. He saved me. The Bible says, he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. <laughs> Think about that. You heard the gospel and you believed on Jesus and you were converted. 
You were justified. Your sins were forgiven. You were counted righteous when you turned to Jesus and put your faith in him. Now you are being sanctified to be more and more like Jesus as he works in you and shapes you. And one day, you're going to be with Jesus. And you will be glorified and you will be the finished product that the Lord is working on right now. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What, what part of that, that four steps, do you think Paul has especially in mind? Chose us before the foundation of the world. Justified, converted. Sanct- being sanctified. Glorified. One, two, three, four. What part of that, what number do you think Paul has especially in mind here? Three. I think he has in mind three. He's mindful of the, whole, of the whole gambit, but he's recognized right now God is, God, you are in the, your, your salvation, working out your salvation is being the person that God has saved you to be as he's sanctifying you, living for the Lord. Key in this, in working out your salvation, is living in obedience to him. Working out our salvation is living in obedience to the Lord, doing what he commands. His word has an authoritative place in my life. What he says, I will do. What, what he forbids, I'll avoid. I, God speaks, I do. That's what working out our salvation is. It's living a life of obedience. So Paul talks about, you've obeyed the Lord in the past. Now, work out your salvation. Keep on living a life of obedience to him. That's what it is. So, so what's the call here? Well, the call on you and me is to be obedient to the Lord, to be submissive to him, to live our lives for him. Work out your salvation, your own salvation. Notice it's your own salvation, you, personal, very personal. Work out your own salvation. Notice the last part of the verse, with fear and trembling. Isn't that a funny phrase? With fear and trembling. I think what Paul means here is reverence and awe and wonder. Working out our salvation is living in obedience and it's living with reverence, with reverence toward God. This phrase, fear and trembling, that's when we, we see that from time to time in Scripture. We, we read frequently about the, the fear of the Lord. What does that mean, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God? Well, it means it's this, this attitude of having a healthy fear of God, lives that are marked by reverence for God. We live in awe of God because, because he's God. He's God. It's living with a, an awareness of the greatness and the awesomeness and the holiness and the righteousness and the power of God. It is the conviction that God is God. And when I have that conviction, it does something to me. It humbles me and causes what Paul calls here a fear and trembling. Now, what he doesn't mean by fear and trembling is he doesn't mean a cowering from God or an avoiding of God. Like lots of things that we are afraid of, we avoid. I am very afraid of heights. So you know what? I don't go up in high places. Okay? If you've got a roofing job to be done, don't ask me. I ain't going to do it. Okay? If your cat is stuck up a tree, I, I'll get the baggie of treats and say, here, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. Gotta, I ain't going up the tree to get your cat because your cat ain't worth my life. Sorry. We avoid things that we are 
afraid of. And we cower. I told you a few weeks ago about running through a giant flock of geese. Okay, I was afraid, genuinely afraid. By the way, after the service, somebody sent me a video of a goose attacking a tiger. So my fear was justified. Just so you know, those of you who are snickering and laughing at me, a tiger! He doesn't mean, when he talks about fear and trembling, he's not talking about cowering from God or avoiding God. No, he talks about knowing that God is God. It's a reverence. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. So you see, there's a kind of fear that the Bible's not talking about here. Isaiah 11.3, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, a prophetic verse about Christ says that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Was Jesus terrified of his father? Did he cower from his father? No. He delighted in his father. The fear of the Lord is, speaks to our knowing of God, but knowing God truly, and knowing him truly means we wonder at him, and we're in awe of him, and seeing and savoring something of his glory. Acts 9 and 31 says, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. So what did they have? They had peace. And they were being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit, it multiplied. So see, they, they had a real fear of God, but a healthy fear of God, a fear and trembling of knowing and believing that God is God. So fear and trembling, it, it isn't a cowering of God or an avoiding God. But rather, it's living with a sense of his greatness, his awesomeness, his holiness, his power, the fact that he is God. And I think this is so critical when you think about working out your own salvation. Because when we don't have a healthy fear of God, when we don't live before him with this fear and trembling that Paul is talking about, when we don't do that, we sometimes find ourselves living as though God isn't there. Of course, we would never say that God's not there. We believe that God is everywhere. But there's a kind of practical atheism that creeps into our lives sometimes where we behave as though God's not there. For example, there's some things that you might say or do or indulge in when nobody else is around. Why not just have me over and show me what you do? Well, because I don't want you. It's embarrassing. So I just do it when there's nobody around. But wait a minute. Don't you believe that God is always around? Ah, but you see, you lack the fear and trembling. When you live with fear and trembling, with reverence for God, you know that God is always there. When we don't have fear and trembling in our hearts, we behave as though God is not aware. He just doesn't say, oh, he's sure he's there, but he's not aware. And we treat people unlovingly or act immorally or behave unfaithfully and carry on as if nothing ever happened, pretending that God, if he's there, he's blind. God is blind, he's deaf, doesn't, doesn't see, doesn't know, and he forgets anyway. I'll just, I'll just let time go by and never deal with it because God forgets. Do you believe in a God who forgets? Do you believe in a God who's blind, who can't see? No, you don't. Sometimes when we don't have fear and trembling, we, we behave as though God is not God. I'm the maker of my own rules. I live under my authority, thank you very much. But when we have fear and trembling, the reverse of all these things is true. Oh, we believe that God is there. And we believe that God is aware. And we believe that God is God. 
that does something to us. Working out our own salvation involves living in obedience and living, living with reverence. It's what we work out, this salvation that we have. Now, I want you to just sort of glance over the person sitting next to you and see if you perceive they're looking for something to throw right now. If they're loosening off their shoe or something like that, tell them, just hang on. Don't do it. You'll regret it. It's being live streamed. Hi, everybody at home. You say, why are they loosening off their shoe? It looks like they're fixing to throw their shoe. Yeah, they're fixing to throw their shoe at me because I've been preaching now for longer than I realize, and I still haven't addressed the problem. That's, see, that's why they're taking their shoe off to throw it at me. Because we began by talking about this gap between belief and behaving, and all I've done so far is kind of told you, behave. <laughs> so that's why they're loosening off their shoe. That's why they're fixing the throw it at me. Tell them to hang on. Just hang on. Don't do it. You'll regret it. Because the preacher ain't done yet. See, the call here for us is very clear. There is a, a rightful place for, for calling. And, 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 and in, in response to that person beside you who's taken off their shoe to throw it at me in frustration because I haven't answered the issue yet, I do just want to say two things then. First of all, don't overlook, overlook the fact that a means of God helping us is often through exhortation. A means of God helping us, a means of God moving us and giving us strength is the preaching of his word and the calling to do. That happens sometimes. In fact, some of you, even already, some of you already, right now, by faith, because of the power of the word and the work of the spirit, even without exposing verse 13, are already strengthened in your resolve to live for the Lord. You're already helped. So tie your shoe back up. Don't throw it at me. Because... This is one of the ways that God works in us. Sermons, conversations, exhortations, speaking life to one another. That's how God works. So that's the one thing. But the other thing I'd say to the person who's frustrated with me right now and wondering, just how do I do this? Okay, okay, tell me what, but how, how, how? Well, look at verse 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who is working? Who? Who does it say? Who does it say? God. God. What, what is he doing? Working. He's working. He's working. Where is he working? In me. He's working in you. Amen. Let it land on you. For it is God who works in you. Both to notice to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, the Christian life is a working out and a working in. Being the people that God saved us to be involves God working in God working in us. He works in us to desire what he wants. And he works in us to enable us to do what it is he wants. See, we're called to obedience, but we're called to it on the basis of the fact that God is at work in us. We're called to do on the basis of the fact that God is doing. 
You see that? And the word there, for, is like, it's just a sweet, beautiful word. Just, you just want to kiss that word, for, because, because we're, we're called to obedience. We're called to work out the salvation we have with fear and trembling. And then the word for comes in and says, here, here, there's help for you. There's help for you. You're not on your own here. For, for, oh, mwah, beautiful word, for. For it is God. Who, it's joining it together. You see? You see, I'm calling you to this because God is working in you to do this. This is astonishing freedom, loved ones. This is astonishing grace that we have from God, not only to, to bring us into this salvation, but to power us to live out this salvation. It's astonishing to me. Have you ever noticed that sometimes doing what God wants you, wants you to do is really hard? Evangelism. Like just sharing good news with people sometimes is really hard. Or how about forgiveness? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. Loving your enemies, <laughs> that, that is hard. You know what's hard I find about forgiveness and loving your enemies? Just zeroing in on those two. It's hard to even want to do it. Because if I'm honest here, don't spread this around, but if I'm honest here, when people behave as my enemies, I really actually just want to see them suffer. Like there's this, there's this bent in me, maybe I'm probably the only person here who feels like this. So you can pray for me and counsel me, but when somebody wrongs me, I don't want to forgive them. I want to fillet them. And somebody's like, well, that's harsh, but oh, you know, there's a few of us here in the room like, oh, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do it. And one of the main reasons I find it very difficult to do some of the things that God calls us to do is because in my flesh, on my own, I don't want to. It's like if you said to me, go on up under the roof, and fix that shingle, I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. Forgive her. I don't want to. The great grace of God to us is so awesome. It's so manifold that it extends even to working in our hearts to give us the will to do what's not natural to us. God works in us to desire what he wants. Dear struggler, if there's a few of you in here who struggle with sin today, or watching online, dear struggler, the desire that you have to even want to honor the Lord even the sense of frustration. Like, I so want to please Christ, but I just seem to fall every day. Even that, that ounce of desire, it's God working in you. Give you that desire. The world doesn't want to live for Jesus. The world is not frustrated by grieving the Spirit. But you are. And that's God at work in you. The, the, very the very fact that some of you are brought to tears over sin in your life. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's hard. But, but just, just stand back just for a moment and see yourself crying and weeping there and saying, that's grace to you that, that you're bothered by that. It's God working in you to desire things and to desire to not do things. God works in us to desire what he wants and God works in us 
to power us to do what he desires, to do what he wants. He gives us the, pow- he gives us the, the power to want it and gives us the power to pull it off. The power to do, loved one, the power to do doesn't come from you. Listen, listen, you have to hear this. If you don't get this, you don't get Christianity. The power to do doesn't come from you. But it comes from God who's working in you to make you want to do it and to give you the strength to do it. Remember, this is a long time ago. I tell, I tell stories all the time. My kid's like, whoa, dad, you never knew. There's so much about you. I don't know. Here's something else you don't know. Long time ago, years ago, my pre-Leanne life, a buddy of mine uh, borrowed his dad's truck for the weekend. All God's people said, uh-oh, this ain't going to be good. <laughs> borrowed his dad's truck for the weekend. Big truck. It's a beautiful truck. Four-wheel drive. Big tires on it. And he decided to do what, well, what any young adult male would probably want to do, driving his dad's truck for the weekend, big truck, big tires, to go off-roading with it. And so he got off-roading, and he was, he was bahan around in, in some, some dirt and trails and stuff like that. And uh, one thing led to another. He made a wrong turn, and he found himself in some mud, and that thing just bore down, and it bore down in the mud. And, and you know what it's like, you know, you get your vehicle stuck in the mud, and I mean, once you stop, you're done, right? Well, he was done. He's sitting there spinning, and it's just lowering down. The thing is right, it's right up, the axles are right, it's right in the mud. What do we do? Well, the person whose property was on had a tractor, and he goes up in a panic, and, and uh, he comes up to the house in a panic, and by that time I was there, and we all went down with the tractor to see this thing, and this thing was buried like I had to, you know, you know the sign of a good friend is when your friend is in a real jam, the first thing you do is just laugh at them. <laughs> it's just why I, I just couldn't help it, just, it, just start laughing at him, but he's desperate because like, he's in a panic because it's dad's truck, right? And you just imagine the look in his face of the panic he got, so we get the tractor down there, and we get the chain out. There's a big chain on as we get into the mud there and hook it around there and, and, and hook it on. And then the tractor starts pulling. You hear the diesel ending and smoke's going up in the air and hopes are rising. And so here's the tractor and it's starting to pull the truck and the truck is starting to move. It's starting to budge out of the dirt. And that's when I noticed something that really made me laugh. Here's the tractor in this giant chain pulling, pulling this truck. It's moving out of the mud. And there between the tractor and the truck is my friend with his hands on the chain, pulling with everything he's got. (laughs) Now I'd say there's a little bit of an illustration there of fear and trembling because his dad's truck. And he's just so desperate to get this thing out. But I'm laughing at him for obvious reasons because like, do you think that's doing anybody good? Do you think you're making the difference? Well, loved ones, that's kind of a picture of your life and mine. God calls us to lay hold of the chain and to pull with all your might. But the decisive difference was going to get your life out of the mud, buried up the axles, was going to change you, transform you, is God. He's the tractor with the chain pulled in your life to be more and more like Jesus. God works in us to, do, to, uh, to desire what he desires and to do what he desires. Thanks be to God. Now let me leave you this morning with two pastoral appeals. We've seen that being the people that God saves us to be involves our working out on the basis of God working 
in. That's what Wearsby meant when he said the Christian life is not a series of ups and downs. feels like it sometimes. But it's actually a process of ins and outs. God works in, and because he works in, we work out. Now, two pastoral appeals. First, please hear me, loved ones, please. Remember, remember that you are not on your own in your fight against sin. You're not on your own. Get, get this settled in your mind and in your heart. When we talk about fighting with sin, your, your response might say, well, you know, it's, oh, that's easier said than done. And that's true, it's, it's war. Even dealing with forgiven sin in our Christian lives is war. But too often, I get the sense that some professing Christians have concluded that they can't win and that they can't change and that they'll never be sanctified. Too many professing Christians have an attitude of helplessness in the face of the enemy and in the face of their own flesh. Too many believers carry on with bitter attitudes, with a bent toward self, with envy, jealousy, lust, pornography, prejudice, a sharp critical tongue, and when pushed on it, they may not put it exactly this way, but you get the sense that their answer is, I just can't help it. I just can't help it. And maybe you've heard that. I just can't help it, this, my lust. I just can't help it, how I feel. I want to say to you on the authority of Philippians 2 and 13 that that answer is complete and utter nonsense. There's a sense in which, yes, we understand because these are powerful foes. But when you read the Bible and you who are in Christ, when you read what God says to us here, I just want to say to you, don't tell me that you're helpless in your fight against sin. Don't tell me that. Because God is working in you. God is working in you. Don't tell me you can't. Don't tell me there's no use. Don't tell me you give up. Because God's at work in you. He's redeemed you. He saved you to be somebody. And he hasn't left you out there just to figure it out on your own. No, he comes into your life by the, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you to make you the person he's working in you to transform you. You are not helpless in your fight against sin. And he gives us so many resources. Think about it, dear Christian, with God in your life. You've got the blood of Christ washing you clean from sin. You've got the new birth. This, this, you're born again. God's taken out your heart of stone and give you a tender, fleshy heart toward him. He's given you his promises, that, uh, the promises that help you, that strengthen you, that, that keep you. He's given you his word that's living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It can do surgery in you and work in you in ways that nobody else can. It rebukes you, corrects you, tells you the truth, exposes the lies. You've got the church that he's given you. The fellowship of the saints who pray for you, who are examples to you, who are with you. He's given you his spirit who indwells you. And then Paul says here that God himself is working in you. You are not helpless. Stop, stop thinking that. Stop saying that. Stop reminding yourself that you are not helpless. God's at work in you. Get some blood on your shirt and your fight against sin because God's at work in you. 
Don't roll over and play dead. You're alive. You're alive. And in case you think I'm detached from the struggle, let me just tell you this. Many, many years ago, I remember being in a situation at a time in my life when I was just so frustrated with me because it just felt like I just, just couldn't grow in the Lord and just frustrated with my own fallenness, my own weaknesses. And I remember, I remember going for a walk. And we lived in the country at the time. I went for a walk out across a field near our house. And I'm walking along. And I'm crying out to God. I'm like, God, please, I'm begging you. you 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 got to help me. Maybe you prayed a prayer like that. You've got to help me, God. Walking along. I'm crying out to God and pleading with him. And all of a sudden, this, some of you think this is weird, but it's what happened. All of a sudden, a butterfly fluttered across my path, fluttering around. And at first, I was so torn up with myself that I just kind of ignored it. But then I noticed it, this butterfly floating around. I'm like, isn't that a beautiful creature? I got looking at this thing, and all of a sudden, it hit me. It used to be a caterpillar. And then I remembered this word that I learned in Bible college. The Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is from the Greek word metamorpho, something like that, from which we get our word metamorphosis, change. And in that moment, just a matter of a few moments as I watched that butterfly, I did not hear an audible voice, did not hear an audible voice. But it was as though I did hear the Lord say, Ross, I will change you. I will change you. Oh, the, the weight, the weight that fell off my shoulders that day. And that's one of the reasons I love this verse. I got a, a friend of mine gave me a, a scroll. It's in my office at home. It's got this verse right on it. Remind me, remind me, remind me, remind me what God told me that day. I will change you. Loved ones, that's what this text says. The Lord says to you, I will change you. I will change you. Remember, you're not on your own in your fight against sin and self. My final pastoral appeal is rejoice. Rejoice in God and his goodness to you in Christ. All of this goodness that we have, this, this power to change, this strength for living, this life that we're called to, this path we're given to walk on, God working in you and through you, it all comes to us as gift. And as we think about the Lord Jesus this morning and turn our attention to our communion, I'm reminded of the fact that the Bible teaches us that all these things that we have from God are owing to the fact that Jesus purchased them for us. Peter says that Jesus suffered the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. He brings us to God. He brings us into this relationship with God. You see, if you are in Christ, you have God working in you today to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's working in you. He's sanctifying you. He's changing you. One day you're going to be with him forever. And all of that you have because of Jesus and his death on the cross. In fact, if Jesus did not die for you, you and I, we would not have any of this. And we really would be on our own in this life and in eternity Without Jesus, there's no forgiveness, there's no relationship, there's no power. But loved ones, Christ has died for you. And I want for us this morning as we close to turn our eyes upon this Jesus, to turn our attention to him, 
because this good news of God working in us to will and to work comes to us because of Jesus and his death for us on the cross. Now I'm going to ask Pastor Alec to come forward here and this isn't too bad of a moment to just say how glad I am that Pastor Alec's with us today. But as he comes, we're going to sing together a song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And uh, Alec and I, sort of, we sort of hatched a, a half-baked plan. It was me It was half-baked. Him just trying to see, so what are you going to do, Ross? What are you going to do? I said what every pastor says. We'll just see. We'll just see. I want to just sing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want us to look to him. And then once we sing that, we'll just sing that chorus through. And then I'm going to give thanks for the, the bread that we have. And we're going, to, we're going to eat that bread together. And then I'm going to give thanks again, and we're going to drink the cup that reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus. But in this time, looking to Jesus and recognizing this life that I have, he purchased for me. This help that I have for my life, this relationship that I have with God, I've got it because of him. I have a life now because of Jesus. So let's sing that together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonder. physically see you crucified, but we do, as it were, see you crucified. All of our sin, all of our shame, they're placed upon you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for bringing us to God. Father in heaven, thank you that you, by your spirit, are now working in us. Lord, I pray that as we eat this bread, that you would be glorified and you would refresh our rejoicing in you. And Lord, renew our resolve for holiness, a passion to live on mission for you, out of love for you, Lord Jesus, and gratitude for what you've done. We give you thanks for this bread that reminds us, Lord, of what you've done for us. And we eat it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat together. the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin. Oh, what good news. What good news. My dear friend, hear the good news that yes, while we have sinned and our sin separates us from God, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin by faith in him, not by working for it, but by trusting him. We have our sins forgiven. God pardons us 
And that's not the end. Not only does he pardon us, he, come and he comes and he dwells in us by the Spirit. And so he's with us now. And one day, by faith, we will be with him forever. Oh, my dear friend, hear good news and believe. Hear good news and look to Jesus. Turn your eyes to him. And dear brother, sister, let's worship the Lord together drinking this cup. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink together.